Good evening and welcome to Old Soul Radio. Sup, sup, sup. I'm your host, Professor Gable. And I'm Jima. And tonight. The host, person. Tonight is a special night because we have. We two got blood in here. Yeah, there's lots of blood <laughs> in people's bodies that are here. Um, basically, the people we have tonight are my parents. Basically. And, and my parents are really cool, and I love them. And so I decided that they should be on the radio. Yeah. And uh, since we have access to such things... so A t-shirt yet from us. Uh, then there we go. We're gonna we're gonna like uh, iron out the kinks here in the studio and play a couple songs before we get into it. But is related to camp. But yeah, stay tuned. And we have Lisa Jakes and Peter Gable. But for now, let's listen to this song. Ended up with a lot All my life I've been hustling and clutching choppers and glocks Man, I get it to pop whenever I'm on the block Never know who'll score when you feed them the rock Six in the morning, dreads at my spot Ball on the floor, team ready to drop Run with scotch, I roll one up Enough in my blunt to levitate like monks Big boss status ain't made for runs Exotics online that'll wake shit up Hey, yeah, wake, wake shit up Hey, on my mama I can't make shit up Hey, if I ain't a real boy, what you call it? I don't think you are no problems Wake, wake shit up, ayy On my mama, I can't make shit up, ayy If I ain't a real boy, what you call it? Got a feeler and a heater when I'm off in it When I'm in there, I'ma need about a soft minute We can chop it over lunch, maybe talk spinach Got a plot that we can rock and we walk with it Get a bag, run it up, then we run it back Get a pack to the yak, watch how they act It's a wrap when it's wrapped and it's all attack If I ain't a real boy, what you call that? Having at it, getting to it I'm on this juice, saying color is transmission fluid. Two units on my collarbone, but the screen cracked on my iPhone. And uh, these niggas dealing with their hormones. They acting like bitches, they need some tampons. I'm having my riches, I'm sitting on a few tickets, and I lay a nigga out like a napkin. Hey, yeah, wake, wake, shit up. Hey, on my mama, I can't make shit up. Hey, if I ain't a real boy, what you call it? I don't think you are no problems. Wake, wake, shit up. My mama, I can't make shit up, If I ain't a real boy, what you call it? I don't think you So, here we are, Old Soul Radio. Back. And Peter Gable and Lisa Jakes are in the building. Let's give it up for... Welcome, welcome. Yeah. The legends. Thank you. All right. 
Can you hear her in that, Jack? Can, can you hear me, Jack? I can hear you. Can, can you speak? You, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hold the mic closer to you, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, okay. right up to your mouth if you can. We're going to talk some oh, really? spinach, right? We're going to yeah, talk, talk spinach. <laughs> talk some business. Talk some spinach. Okay, so... We're so going... Basically, um, you two are both here to talk about your your life a little bit, but also like for specific reasons of what you've got going on in your life. And it's cool that you guys are, you know, like lived for, you know, a lot of days and you're still going at it with like projects you know what i mean so that's cool that you that you have stuff that we got stuff to talk about on the radio right now so um that was supposed to be a compliment but it I, sounded i know <laughs> I, it was no. you trying to avoid saying you're old and you're still active yeah. but, oh but it's I, okay. see, I see i see but there's there's a lot to be said for that <laughs> right. at the same time you know? i'm old peter isn't right, right. Mm. well he's older than you though. no shh and we're gonna we're gonna get to both uh, sides of what you guys are doing, but I think we're going one at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna tackle both individually and just as personally. So, so mom, what? Yeah. So you work for Unite here. Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, like, can you talk about like how you started ta- working with the union and like mm-hmm. what it sort of means to you a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so Unite Here is the union for hospitality workers, mm-hmm. We're talking restaurant workers, hotel workers, food service workers, all across the United States and Canada, including Puerto Rico. <clears throat> and um, the way I got into it, well, first of all, I came from I came from a family of pro union people. Uh, both my parents were union members. Uh, both of them were shop stewards, which is where people who are on the job uh, represent the union every day inside the shop and and um, make sure that the employers are honoring the union agreements and and helping people stand up when injustice takes place at work. So that's what my parents were like. Uh, they taught me when I was very, very young never to cross a picket line. Uh and that's all kinds of picket lines. For example, in 1964, the Cadillac showroom on Venice Avenue refused mm. to hire African Americans. Mm. So my mother took me, I was seven, and my little brother, he was four, and he was in a stroller. She took us down there, uh, and we walked a picket line outside the showroom while a bunch of other people got arrested inside. And that was my first picket line. But they told me never to cross a picket line, and um, so I never did. Uh, My mom was on strike as a teacher, a preschool teacher. and um, Anyway, so that's my background. So when I was a waitress, I was a waitress for 11 years, uh, and the last place I worked was a place called Little Italy in Noe Valley. This was in 1979. Uh, it was non-union, and um, after about three years on the job, just about actually almost four years, my coworkers and I, who we had become extremely tight, which for those of you who ever worked in a restaurant for a while, you get really tight with people. Mm-hmm. Um, we we didn't like the way we were being treated. I used to the chef used to yell at me and swear at me and call me. Um, and effing klutz in front of customers because it was an open kitchen and Mm. they told us we had to tip 
dishwashers more because dishwashers weren't staying because they weren't making enough money. And we were like, wait a minute, we're not responsible for how much the dishwashers make. We did tip dishwashers, right. but we're not supposed to be the ones who pay them enough money. Mm-hmm. And they were having dishwashers wash their car, their personal cars, and just disgusting things that were get, making us more and more angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did they messed with our health care. So we organized the union and um, and we said we want a union. 99% of us signed an open petition and said we want a union and then um, the employer fired five of us and I was one of them. So we put up a picket line and it was, cause it was a local restaurant, we knew all the customers. So we had this line up and we were picketing and half the customers wouldn't cross our picket line. In Noe Valley. In Noe Valley. So for f- so within four days, the owners agreed to recognize our union and hired us back. And hmm. so then we won the union and I became a shop steward, person on, on the job who, who represented the union. And I volunteered all the time. I could not believe there was a place like the union down in the Tenderloin. I went every day before and after work uh, to volunteer and I just could not believe I found this place where all these activists were who were standing up and fighting for justice 24-7. I thought, oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven. Mm-hmm. And two years later, they offered me a job and then I became a union organizer. So that's how why, I got into wh- it. Why did they offer you a job? Um, I think they thought I... I loved the union and was passionate and determined to do whatever it took to to stand up for people's our rights as hospitality workers and so yeah so that's how I got into it okay and so fast forward to now yeah 35 years later 35 years later mm-hmm. still doing the same thing mm-hmm. and this seems to be maybe one of the biggest things you've done possibly in the yeah. past our union years. has uh-huh, yeah for sure um so so yeah um <laughs> the marriott you're, the, the marriott the workers are on strike for the for the marriott but in a, a nationwide strike absolutely correct yes yeah, so here's okay. where here's where we're coming from the marriott corporation has t- swallowed up a bunch of other hotel companies and they are now the largest hotel company in the world. Wow. They're a billion, multi-billion dollar company. They enjoyed over a billion dollars in tax cuts from Donald Trump last year. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, their rooms in their hotels are full, almost, almost 90% or more full almost all the time Mm -hmm. they're making a fortune across the entire world okay and we represent the most hotel workers across the world my Mm -hmm. union and a majority of the workers who we represent work in marriott operated hotels and one thing i want to say is not that this audience is necessarily going to be spending a lot of time in hotels, but but if you do, Marriotts operate hotels that aren't that don't even have the name Marriott in them. So mm. if you're concerned or if you want to know, um, I'll give you guys a, a website. But but there are a lot of Marriott operated properties that don't have the name Marriott in them. For example, Sheraton. 
is operated by Marriott. Um, or these really fancy places like St. Regis and Rich Carlton and all those, you know. Anyway, so we decided, okay, look, things are really bad for working people right now. Really bad. Uh, they may be, there may be the worst case of unaffordability in San Francisco more than any other city in the United States or Canada, but many other cities, people cannot afford to live there anymore. Mm. It's true in Boston, it's true in Hawaii, it's true in Chicago, It's that places are becoming so expensive that people have to live outside the city, but still need to work in the city. So we're like, now wait a minute, this is not right. And here is this company that that runs more hotels than any other hotel company in the world. We're calling on them to do their part to, to make this, set this straight. In other words, we're saying you have the most influence in this industry. You have an opportunity to make it where one job is enough to live on. Mm. One job. Yes. Okay? So if I work in a hotel, and I made enough money where I could live where I work, live in the city where I work, and live and be able to have time off, enough time off to see my children instead of having to work two and three jobs and never see my children. Right. Or to retire uh, at a decent age when I'm not too old and injured, that my body's not too injured from the work to be able to enjoy my time in my older years. That... that a job should provide those things. Yeah. And a company as wealthy as Marriott should lead the way in doing that. Yeah. And so we're calling them out and we're saying, this is your time. You have you have an opportunity to turn things around. And if you don't do it, we're going to pressure you until you do do it. And that's where we are. So as a result, we have now struck 18 hotels. We're on strike in Boston, in uh, Detroit, in San Diego, in San Jose, in Oakland, and in San Francisco, and we're looking at striking in Hawaii and Seattle. Mm. So we are on strike in all these places, 24 hours a day. We have picket lines going, and people have put everything on the line to make things better for themselves and and set a standard that's going to help hotel workers across the world. Uh, and possibly influence other industries mm -hmm. because of all the people. I mean, I don't know how many of your friends have one job that allows them to pay full rent in San Francisco, pay the utilities, pay the transportation. Zero. Zero. Yeah. Okay. So, Negative 20. So most of you have more than one job, or if you're just working one job, at least live you have your help. You're living with your yeah. parents or something. But that's not right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay to live with your parents if everybody wants to live together, but... But you're supposed to be able to live with one job. That is uh, the premise. And, and so that's what we're fighting for. And right on. Do you think um, since when you were, like, say, in the late 70s, when you were working in, in service industry, was it particularly easier to live off one job? Was I lived in a one-bedroom apartment on 25th and Castro by myself. I walked to work. I waited tables four nights a week. It was usually four to six hour shift. I made enough money for medical, 
I paid my rent. I had a car. I paid all my bills. I was completely and totally able to support myself and live independently in San Francisco off of my one job. Wow. So what do you think? Waiting tables, too. Right? Waiting tables. Yeah, so what do you think changes just the, the industry that has been brought in by, like, you know, tech? Or is it just, I mean, since... since the 80s like what mm-hmm. you know what what do you think has changed to make that not possible anymore i think that industries like tech mm-hmm. um have led to a spectacular unaffordability in this city um but not just tech the other problem is that there's been a great deal of conservatism taking place in this country that diminishes the value of work that working people do. So we are making less and the companies are making way more. It's always been capitalism, but now it's hyper-capitalism, right? So so the people who actually create the wealth in the hotels and all these other places are not benefiting from the, from the profits that are made by these companies. Um, and so everything's geared toward the wealthy, the cost of housing, the groceries. All these things are geared toward a very small percentage of the population. That's why mm-hmm. um, that's why the one percent movement happened because it's gotten worse and worse over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally think that a significant reason for it is because unions have not, because there's been a huge pushback on unions. And when unions were in our, when we represented a majority of the workers, or when we represented the largest percentage of workers that we ever represented, which was about 35% of workers across the country, when we did that, we set a standard for wages, for retirement for all kinds of things that people enjoyed for many, many years. Even people who weren't in unions enjoyed it because we set the standard. And then the, the conservative business right wing pushed and fought labor and we got smaller and smaller and smaller. And the same time that we got smaller, everybody's standard of living dropped. Uh, mm. So it's really, it's important for your community and your generation to know that yeah that because you guys weren't even alive when we were peaking but but it's important to know that definitely well um i wanted to ask before we get to the book dad i wanted to ask mom so first two questions Mm -hmm. the strike how how is it going what's happening like Mm -hmm. who are some of the people that are maybe like key people in the strike maybe mm-hmm. some of the workers you can mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. like their quick little stories about yes. them oh thank you for asking no problem so first of all a majority of workers in the hotels and marriott's in particular are women of color okay so marriott makes these billions off the backs of women of color across the world okay Okay, and there are plenty of other brothers who are also working hard for mm-hmm. me and not being compensated, but a majority are women of color. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, the day before yesterday, by the way, the strikes are fantastic. Everybody's out, everybody's on the street, everybody's full of, of um, intensity and 
people are making drums out of pots and pans and water jugs and jamming all night long and chanting and marching and taking care of each other and feeding each other and sharing food and sharing money and it's a beautiful thing we we can't we you know strike benefits we do our very best to have a um a certain a decent amount of money that we can take out of our strike funds that workers have built up through paying their dues to give people money, but it's never enough. And everybody's helping each other. It is yeah. so beautiful. It's the way it's supposed to be all the time. It yeah. is just so beautiful. And yeah. their children are on the line and their friends on the line and it's just incredible. Yeah. But anyway, so this woman, Monica, um, whom I have gotten to know since the strike started. Uh, she was a server. She is a server at one of the Marriott-operated properties. And she and I were leafleting outside the entrance to the hotel, asking customers to move to another hotel and not cross our picket line. And the general manager walked by, and she said to Monica, Hello, Monica. And she walked in. And Monica told me that that was the first time in four years that that woman ever said her name. Wow. So this is a fight for respect. Yeah. And now that woman knows her name. And yeah. she's never going to forget it. And no, that's what won't. it's about. So right on, Mama. Right that's on. the story. Yeah, and I want to ask, like, it seems like, you know, the, the root of all this um, movement towards what you think should happen is based around organizing and um, getting everybody in the working community along, you know, everything associated with it together. So what is it you think about like striking and just organizing as a people who might otherwise be powerless is so effective in this cause to mm -hmm. changing how everything is happening? Yeah. First, I just want to say one thing, and then I'll tie it in, is sure, that sure. I so admire you two and Simone and everybody else who has been working in OSC and in your community to fight gentrification. Mm, thank you. This is our attempt at dealing with gentrification. This is mm -hmm. our union's attempt at it. It's like, you're going to make this much money in this city. We get to make enough to live here instead of having to drive from freaking Sacramento, which is what some people do, yeah. to come to work. Yeah. Okay? So I just want to say we are with you in that, and we admire your work, and we want to be in coalition with you. Absolutely. So that's that. Why are strikes powerful? Well, people, working people, create the wealth that industry makes. Mm. Those people in the boardrooms mm. don't create it. Right. We create it. Right. Right? So when we withhold our labor, we affect their wealth. And that's how we get them to come to the table and deal with us. Now, at this point, they are so powerful that we have to have other things that we do. But most unions, like mine, the number one thing is the courage of the workers to, to stand up and do something like a strike. But then we have all these other things that we do to back them up. Uh, and one of the things we do is boycott. So mm. for example, I run the boycott program for our union where we reach out to all as many customers as we can find 
that are coming to these struck hotels and say, please use a different hotel. Mm. This is your opportunity to take a stand and do something that may be inconvenient, might even cost you some money, but you will be able to say, I did it and I backed these people up and it made a difference. Mm -hmm. And so we add different things to the strike to add to the workers power uh to help them be effective right and there's so many different industries getting funneled into this one like company i guess you know what i'm saying like you were talking about you know like sports teams or mm. you know like mm -hmm. just people coming in you know yeah. sports teams tech like all these businesses funneling into this one thing that's going to take into the famous scene, so. musicians yeah, yeah. Exactly. dad you had something about this well i just wanted to say uh this point that you've made a couple of times uh, it's really a tricky one to get, but it's really powerful when you get it, and that is the idea that labor creates all wealth. Mm. The idea is that when you are in the world, you're just alone, you're floating in the world, you get a job, you're kind of hanging on mm -hmm. by whatever, your fingertips or whatever it is. Uh, say you're a room cleaner or a, a bellman in, in, in an unorganized hotel, no union, right. and you just have a job and you're hanging on there. You don't feel significant important or powerful mm -hmm. typically right but the reality is that you and the other workers are creating the hotel mm -hmm. it's not somebody else is creating the hotel and you just have a little job no it's no the hotel is created by the workers they do everything that makes it a hotel the capitalists, the owners, can buy the building and the land, but they don't create the hotel. And that's true of factories that make cars. The workers, the workers uh, uh, create the cars. Yeah. And food delivery businesses. Right, right. Who yes. does that? Me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've done that. People who cook yeah. the food, yeah. grow the food, and yeah. deliver the food yeah. are creating the, the industry. And so Not on. some other... Uh, puppeteer, you know, way up high who's really, no, and you just work for them. So one of the, in the whole historical long struggle of the labor movement, that's been a really important idea to get across to people. Labor creates all wealth. So this strike, when you go on strike, you withhold your labor. Yeah. And when everybody withholds their labor, the whole system stops. Right. So when there's a general strike, which rarely happens, but it happened in San Francisco in 1937. Four. 1934. <laughs> The whole everything that it seems to be, you know, running right. uh, stops yes. because it's always work and the workers that are creating the reality. And when you remember that and you're part of a movement to express that and you feel that inside you, you begin to feel power instead of feeling, well, I just, yeah. uh, I'm just a little employee on my own, right. grab mm -hmm. on, I don't, I don't have any stature, I don't have any significance, I don't have any value. Mm. And the union gives that to people, I think. No shit, that's dope. Yeah, and how you were saying, you were saying when you made that union, the first union, uh, you just signed a petition or something? Like, how does a union get formed? Ah, uh, good question. Uh, extremely good question, and don't just go off and do it by yourself without finding out because you'll just get fired and you won't get anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you need to contact someone who, some union that you, represents the field that you're in. Mm -hmm. For example, if you were a food server, you would contact me and I would help you get to people who would might be able to help you organize. But basically what we do is we... If people are really uh, really understand 
that it's a fight. It's not something where you just sign a petition, but that it requires all this work leading up to signing the petition. Talking to your coworkers, people who are scared, you know, getting people dealing with the negative uh, stereotypes about unions, mm. turning that around, dealing with people being afraid of the boss finding out, dealing mm -hmm. with all these things. Uh, if you get, we, we teach people how to do this, and then we teach them these, it's a, it's a way of organizing. I won't go into all the details, but basically we're, it's a de democratic procedure in which we f help you figure out who the leaders, the true leaders are in the workplace mm. and make sure that we talk to each of them and see, and if they're down, then other people in the workplace trust them. Mm. And through that, we, we build a committee. And when there is an authentic committee of authentic leaders who, are, who really understand what a fight it's gonna be, then we can go forward and have people sign a petition and then mm -hmm. uh, push for for union recognition. Mm. But it takes a lot of courage and a lot of discipline and a lot of understanding of, of how to do it. So mm. please don't do it by yourself tomorrow. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> takes a team. Mom, <laughs> yeah. Mom, can you, for those that like, like unions, I feel like, like it's something that's, that a lot of that you know everyone that involved is very passionate about for like good reason but could you mm -hmm. for those that like are ambivalent about it mm -hmm. but like might really need it mm -hmm. you know like could you talk about um maybe like a time whether it was in like the 30s or whatever where like going on strike worked and it like you know what i mean made people's lives a lot better and stuff absolutely okay uh, Flint, Michigan, the place where we hear about all the time now where people's water has been poisoned. Mm -hmm. That was one of the places where some of the most courageous people took a stand. In the 1930s, all these um, automobile workers worked in a factory in Flint, uh, and they wanted to have a union, and they wanted to have a say in their workplace, and and try to, you know, be in a create an organization to have enough power to negotiate with uh, the Henry Ford, um, this automobile company, <clears throat> to get better wages, better working conditions, etc. And they fought and they fought and they fought and they didn't win. And so they said, you know what? We're going to sit down in the factory and we're not leaving. Mm. And so. They shut down the factory. They sat in. The factory couldn't function anymore. Uh, people started bringing them food, handing them food through the windows. It was nice. cold. It was in the winter. Mm. It was hard. It was mm. scary, and it was hard. Mm -hmm. And all these people came from all over to support them and, and, and went outside and, and picketed and, and lit bonfires and made food and tried to keep their spirits up and brought their children for them to see outside the windows and mm -hmm. it was an incredible act of courage and solidarity and in the end they won they mm. won the union right on yeah and we have won we've we've struck and won in many places right on thank yeah. you for that mm -hmm. um we're gonna shift over to dad but i want to like just to segue the, Mar the Marriott strike, what can people do if they want to be involved? And even if they can't, maybe like, 
totally involve themselves? Like, is there things mm-hmm. for, is, is first like a, a broader question, is there ways for people to help in small ways? Yes. If so, what are small ways and big ways people can help now? First of all, check out one job should be enough dot org. Okay. There's a million different things you can do. Mm-hmm. In San Francisco, please, you know, tell anybody you know who can afford to stay in a hotel not to stay in the Marriott Marquis, <laughs> the Marriott Courtyard on 2nd Street, the Palace, the St. Regis, the W, the St. Francis, the Marriott on Union Square. Mm-hmm. And in Oakland, tell people not to go to the Oakland Marriott, mm-hmm. which is tough because that's a hotel where a lot of people who do good work go but mm. right now they're on strike okay. and also the san jose marriott okay. so please don't cross our picket lines number one okay uh but you can get involved in all kinds of social media support if you check out one job should be enough okay. you can come down and walk the picket lines with us uh we're gonna have a massive action on saturday october 20th if you can come out and join us uh, i think don't know the time. I'm sorry, but one job should be enough. We'll we'll tell you what time. Okay. Okay. Is that, is that? that was great. No, okay, yeah. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Thank you all. No, thanks for letting us know, Mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think we should just shift right into it since we're all here. Why not? All right. So Peter Gable, that's your name, right? That's it. That's my name. <laughs> <laughs> You've recently released your third book. Mm-hmm. Um, the desire for mutual recognition. Now, before, well, why don't we just get into that first, and then maybe we can trickle into the past a little bit later. But, or what do you think? We should go with the past first. Well, the past gave birth to the book. Right, so. the past happened already. So let's get that out of. So, <laughs> so you were born in Los Angeles, right? Yes, for a uh, minute. Yeah, yeah, I was there for a minute. For like for like a few days, uh, six months. Okay, so what do you, so would you consider yourself a writer, or do you have one title of what you do, or is it sort of like you like to con- you like to consider yourself in a, a lot of things? A lot of things because uh, uh, I never really identified with the idea that I am. Right. a thing that right. is my career, right. but rather have uh, pursued projects that are a lot like Lisa's, but in, in a somewhat different way from Lisa. Okay. And uh, so one of them was uh, being one of the creators of New College of California, yes. uh, which was a great uh, progressive college, law school, graduate schools of various kinds in San Francisco. Uh, in, started in the early 70s and lasted until 2007 or 2008. And I was a, 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 I was a law professor there teaching public interest lawyers, social activist lawyers for mm-hmm. over 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I did that because I was felt I was part of the movement to create a just world. Yes. And so that's what I was actually doing rather than being a law professor, which is, mm. you know, and then right. whatever, putting on a law professor cloak and... Hat. And no, hat. that wasn't that wasn't the idea. Cool. So so what made you decide? What did you just say exactly? What you were uh, sort of was your duty um, to 
to make a world adjust. There you go. What did you say? To make the world adjust place? Is yeah. that you said something like that? Well, I grew okay. up in New York. Okay. After that first six months, okay. I grew up in New York with my parents, no brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. on Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, went to private schools, raised my hand, wanted to do well, get a good grade. <laughs> right. I wore little outfits that I had to wear to school, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I went to dancing school. Then I went to boarding school. Okay, I, I had a whole whole pathway of being... Uh, you were on the shuttle. I was on the shuttle, on the conveyor belt. Right. To yeah. where? That's, that's the question. Right. And what happened to me was that the 60s emerged during my college years. Nice. The anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the environmental movement, the gay, lesbian uh, bisexual, transgender movement, the Black all of them, movement. yeah, all of these movements started at once because of an upsurge of uh, insight and power and commitment that rose up in one historical time, and uh, I I got swept into that, or I leaped into it, mm-hmm. and that uh, just fundamentally changed me internally because I, where I as I had been a kind of very uh, I was the same in right. some ways, but I was drifting, searching, not clear how I was connected to reality. Right, and the these social movements of of that time pulled me in, and I just. You know, like uh, what's the if you're playing that poker game and you go all in. I went all in yeah. with with the movement. So I left my my background and where I was from, and the I left. I got off the conveyor belt mm-hmm. to wherever I was going to my class destiny, someplace on top of a hierarchy somewhere. Nice. And became part of this force that was in American culture that is still in American culture. In you guys, it's in hip-hop, it's in other forms of resistance that you're a part of. Right. Um, In my case, it was, uh, I happened to have gone to law school on that conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. Really, that was was the case. I I didn't want to go there, particularly. And uh, since that's what I had, I put it into... Creating an all, helping to create an alternative law school for community lawyers and social justice lawyers to fight for social change. Cool. New college. New college. Nice. New college law school. I'm making a movie about new college law school right now, actually. Is it coming along? It's coming along. Uh, it's half done, and the other half we're working on. It's nice. called Practitioners of Justice. Oh, cool. And you can read a little about it if you go to practitionersofjustice.com. Dot com. Yeah, that's, nice. our, uh, that's our, our, the website for that, for the legacy of, of New College Law School and also a little bit about the movie that we're developing. Interviewing the students who are there, the teachers, uh, what they're doing now, what the students are, the kind of social justice work those law- lawyers are doing who are law students at New College. Yeah. And um, so that was, that. you know, that. W- so I would say that uh, I feel a part of the same movement that Lisa's describing in the labor movement. I feel part of the effort of human beings in all different aspects of life to mm. create a world in which we love each other, see each other as who we really are, stand in solidarity with each other, live equally together, and live cooperatively together. Heal each other. Heal each other from the wounds that we've inherited from the past and prior generations. Yes. And I'm 
I, I, you know, I believe we can create such a world, and I know it in my soul from having lived through a movement that partly did that. Mm. That was one one step in the the path to creating that kind of world. Right on. So, so leading through that, that's kind of what the book's about. Where the desire for mutual recognition right. falls into so place. Out right? of that, that's right. Because out of that whole experience, I I wanted to write down what I saw mm. of the difference between the beauty of the the social movements and the spirit of mutual of mutuality and equality and community that was created out of them and power personal mm-hmm. power and social power to try and capture well, why isn't that happening right <laughs> why isn't that happening in the world and uh, so the book it's called The Desire for Mutual Recognition, Social Movements and the Dissolution of the False Self. Yes. So the basic idea of the book is we all long for that world. All of us, all human beings, even Donald Trump. <laughs> we all long for a world mm-hmm. when we're born in which we can see and be seen by each other in a way where our, our presence is fully recognized, where we feel here with the other in a relationship that is a kind of a sacred bond or recognition of each other's humanity. Yeah. And uh, that unfortunately we live in a world in which that desire that's in everybody is actually denied all around us. Right. Systematically denied. Systematically denied. And uh, so we pass each other with blank gazes on the street. We get caught up in playing roles in society where we become attached to the outside of ourselves, the yeah. image of ourselves, mm-hmm. rather than our, the true selves that we actually are. Why does that happen? Because of a fear of the other person, a fear of humiliation, a fear that if we extend ourselves to the other person, it won't be reciprocated it won't be returned so we learn to develop these artificial pseudo selves you might say that are part of our conditioning that are part of all of us in some way it's particularly visible i often give the example of newscasters because everybody sort of watches the media at some point and people are not real on the media right um the example I think I gave the last time I was on the show was... Red Sox win and a fire endorsement. That's it, yeah. When I was in law school, this, this... And I was starting to think about this stuff because in law school... So in law school, everybody is behaving in the, like a robot to right. some extent. Well, it seems to me that you could argue that the piece of paper... There's no consideration because the piece of paper was worthless. So I... That's the type of thing. You just, that's the way people behave. Yeah. Their bodies are rigid. Their eyes are glassy. They're tense. Tense. They're not like here. It's like, right. hello. Yeah. Come over here. We're right here together. Yeah. It's, everything's yeah. cool. Yeah. That isn't how it is. It's everyone right. in rows. I, there were 150 people in my first year law school section. And all men, virtually all men when I was there. Wow. About a half dozen women. And all, most of them were in suits, and all of them were behaving that way, okay? So no one is making eye contact, no one is seeing each other, no one is 
really caring for each other. Everyone is playing out this role, yeah. the robotic role that has power connected to it. If you can make these noises, right. and if you can get the talk this way, right. you can make it yeah. <laughs> in the world. It becomes valuable. <laughs> and uh, so... So you were watching the news. So I was watching the news when I was in law school and at, trying to figure this out. Like, what is the, what is it? What's going on? Plus, at the same time, the movement was ha- starting to happen around me. Right. Okay. So I was at the same time going through this experience with, with people acting that weird way with glassy eyes and making arguments and yeah. being rigid. And then on, at the same time, there were people in the streets calling for justice. Martin Luther King was intoning these magnificent calls, black man and white man, Jew and Gentile, Protestant and Catholic, holding hands and singing in the great, in the words of the great Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, God Almighty, I'm free at last. Mm -hmm. Well, so I was hearing this powerful, beautiful evocation of what human beings could be, and yet there I was in law school with this opposite kind of, of non-humanity going on right. and the, the guy on the news yeah so I was trying to figure it out and then the guy on the news would come on and say Red Sox win in a fire in Dorchester back in a moment yeah and you know his gestures were a little delayed you know the way the, uh, the weathermen are like this too they kind of say oh who would have thought that would storm come through and leave so quickly and yeah. they're not really <laughs> their gestures are a little behind they're like they're not really there when they're talking to you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, It's a definitely. sort of a... And, and it's really hard to get used to that. I mean, it, it, you have to like... We, people are not born ready to relate to human beings right. that way. We're born full of vitality. Every newborn child, you can see their whole presence in their face. They pull us out of, out of our are distance because yeah. they're so real and they're so present. So it takes a while to get used to people like the, the weatherman I'm describing, who are not really being there, but are putting up an outer self that is substituting for their true self. Their true self is withdrawn deep inside because of fear, and their outer self becomes who they think they are. Mm-hmm. And they are trapped in this isolated kind of telephone booth of a self that surrounds them that keeps people out of touch with each other and they're the same people who and we all have this it's not we all have this because we all live in a world in which that kind of non-presence is usually the dominant thing that's happening what yeah sorry go ahead no it's okay Uh, what you want to ask you yeah you go ahead I was just going to say what do you think it is that provokes the non-presence? Is it because it's easier to be a complacent zombie? Or <laughs> well, is it because people are afraid of actually living together and stuff? You know what I mean? With each other's, like, sort of well, I mean, opinions or whatever? It's people are afraid to reveal their true vulnerability and longing, inner Beca- longing, because it's never been fully confirmed by other people. Even mm-hmm. in our childhoods, mm-hmm. we're taught to be good boy and 
uh, you go to schools and a certain, a certain kind of behavior is expected of you and this outer self starts to develop. Yes. And so it, it, from each person's isolated position, it looks like there's no alternative but to be this way. Mm-hmm. When you join a union, when you go on strike, or there's a particular moment in an organizing drive when you button up, when people declare that they're part of the union and all the workers who have previously been separated and withdrawn from each other, more or less, not totally, but Mm -hmm. withdrawn from each other, all of a sudden come out in public and put their union buttons on. They suddenly become there for each other in an an empowering way that creates that mutual recognition that I'm describing. You have to say that that's in the context of fear of being fired and overcoming the fear. I was going to say and taking risks together. Yeah, taking a risk, right. Yes. And it's the fear of being fired is both an economic fear Mm -hmm. and a spiritual fear. Mm -hmm. It's an economic fear because you'll lose your money that you pay the rent with and get, eat your food with. And it's a spiritual fear because you'll be cast out of the only available place of identity that right. you have. Which is like a piece of the conveyor belt. Or right, which yeah. is a piece of the conveyor belt. But it is also, it's also, if, if you, ha- you have to become the way that you are recognized by other humans. Right. So if the conveyor belt is all there is... You don't want to be kicked off the conveyor belt. Right. Okay. You want to transform the conveyor belt for sure. Right. But not not be kicked off it where you're you're isolated. Isolated, mm-hmm. lack worth, lack self esteem, lack dignity. So But when yeah. you all go out together with your buttons on, that's an alternative way of feeling real power. Right. And it's 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 profound moment. Yeah. Right. So let me just say a couple more things. <clears throat> okay. All right. So let's, we can bring this to like the present moment, the, con- the country as it is now. Okay. When people are not living in this loving, mutually present way, but rather adrifting and caught up in their outer selves, that outer self is literally on your outside. It's like uh, your image and taking your image for your, yourself. People still want to be part of a community. They still long to be, to be, feel connected to others. So what happens is that people develop attachments to imaginary communities, mm-hmm. like the nation, for example. The, the reason I bring that up now is we have this guy, Donald Trump, who says he's going to make America great again. Right. Okay. Make America Great Again is an appeal to an imaginary unity called right. America mm-hmm. that's not characterized by by I what what the Jewish theologian Martin Buber called relations of I and thou, mm. where I truly see you and you truly see me and we're part of a, a community and a group. Yeah. But it's rather an imaginary entity. Right. And that imaginary entity is outside of people it's not actually in their souls and part of who they actually are right so when he says i'm going to make america great again he's saying i'm going to puff up your outside right and make you feel as if you're connected to everyone else right. in something great right and of course it, but because it's imaginary everybody knows that it's not real but they're not conscious of that mm. so that's why it's always in danger of deflating <clears throat> 
if you see what I'm saying. That's why people wear T-shirts that say, these colors don't bleed. Have you ever seen that T-shirt? Is that in don't America? Run. Don't run. Yeah, or these, these colors, colors don't, don't bleed run. or yeah. don't run. That with a flag? Yeah. <laughs> that's because they fear... That they that, will bleed. That they will bleed. Because they know they can. That's right, because yeah. there's no there there. Because yeah. it's not a real truth yeah. of human connection it's right. imaginary yeah so someone like trump can mobilize a lot of people behind a fantasy of community that people really long for yeah so the book is you know it's about analyzing each of these these aspects of the society and and it's about it, like if you take a uh, the the problem of racism in the world hey what's up it's all good if you take ra- racism, why is a racist a racist? Mm-hmm. Why is a racist a racist? Well, at a deep level, a white racist who identifies with being white as a form of supremacy and power. Um, oh, sure. No, but who's a who? Uh, keep going, Dad. Okay. So what? Okay. Okay. You, took, okay. you got it here yesterday? What? You left it here yesterday? Yes, I did. Okay. I'm going to show you Thanks. Go ahead. Inside, people don't feel worthy. They don't feel connected. They don't feel truly part of a community. So they develop a substitute identification with an outer part of their self that actually is absurd. White skin. Mm-hmm. It's not even white, but I mean... Right. And they become they identify with that as being better because they feel so bad inside. They feel like they're always about to go down to nothing hmm. because they aren't actually grounded by solidarity, by true human connectedness. Hmm. And when people become have that experience of mutual recognition of truly seeing and being seen by each other and brought into community in that way, they, they don't participate in fantasies like that. But instead, and when social movements rise up, like the ones I've been describing, mm-hmm. people discover a beauty in what the world can be through the movement itself that leads people to no longer w- care about these, these false forms of identity okay. that are harmful and destructive. Okay. Right. Well, what does it really mean to be recognize though like what does it really mean to like recognize somebody else because i mean you were mentioning like um you know false groupings of people and like you know like oh it's a false linking of people so like what makes something a false linking of people and like what does it mean to really recognize somebody for something truthful so if I if I look at you here across our microphones mm-hmm. and you you know me mm-hmm. you know and you mm-hmm. can sense that I'm actually here with you, right. Right? right? That's very different from both of us staring at a screen or something, believing in something that doesn't have that quality. Right. So uh, uh, let's say kids in school pledging allegiance to the flag. Mm. Right. Well, there's a, there's a piece of cloth up there <laughs> right. Red right, and, right, right. with red stripes on it. Everybody's looking at that and thinking, I'm part of that. Right. But they right. aren't necessarily feeling that 
with the person next to them. Okay, I get you. I see. You, you see what I'm saying? So and it's that, it's, it's you have to feel it with the person next to you. So mutual recognition instead of just like a re- flag recognition yes. where we're all part of the flag and it doesn't really matter what anyone else around us is doing because we are in the flag. Right. Like, so is there is there a difference between like say just the pure idea of nationalism of just like this is my area and community so I'm going to defend that i respect that you know no matter how it might be twisted in today's world Mm -hmm. but what's the difference between like nationalism and like just community uh growth or connectedness well uh so so there are let's take the notion of america i mean Mm, there's some good aspects of being american the history of freedom of speech the history of the struggle to overcome slavery the, the labor movement that's built unions, there's rock and roll, there's hip hop, there's, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. features of our culture that are, are beautiful and that do embody real connectedness between people that, that is carried forward through these, through these cultural efforts. But there's also the false thing, mm-hmm. okay? So the same thing can have truth and falseness in it. Mm-hmm. And and the so you're saying what's the difference nations that become attached to their image mm-hmm. are very different from moments when these real elements are occurring that are being validated and affirmed that i was just trying to describe mm-hmm. so a hundred million people were killed in world war ii and maybe it was world wars one and two over nationalism Mm -hmm. our country versus your country right uh today there are 60 i think there are 60 million refugees in the world people who have had to leave their homes and are just wandering around or living in refuge squalid refugee camps under terrible conditions why it's insane. It's because mm-hmm. people are attached to these false identities of their nation states and they are that are not characterized by love and care for one another, but that are characterized by mm. uh, nationalism, nationalism mm-hmm. in the sense of false unities that right. make demons of others and that protect themselves. Mm. I mean, in the United States, for example, to show that what I mean by the... F- Make it the Make America Great Again, the false aspect of that or the imaginary aspect of that. Why can't Colin Kaepernick take a knee during the national anthem? Why can't he take it? What's the big deal? You know, the football so players. Fake, the fake, well, the, you know, they, 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 and the reason that Nike hired Colin Kaepernick is like this fake, like, you know what, you know, we know what will profit. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, the NFL holding Colin Kaepernick down from doing that, they know who their target audience is in doing that. And the Nike hiring Colin Kaepernick know who their target audience is, is in doing that. You know? Well, so let's just stick with the first part of that, that right. though, that he can't kneel. That Trump makes a big deal about him kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah. It's because the, it's, if you deep into it, it's because this imaginary unity of America because it's not real, it can't tolerate anything that could poke a hole in it because all the air might come out and it might go down to nothing. 
So, th so that's what the that's why so much energy goes into saying you must stand at attention during the national anthem. Right. You can't kneel because we will lose our unity that everybody has to believe in. Right. Okay. That is really what's underlying it. Right. And um, if you know, when we build our world, our society, we will, of course, accept that not everybody has to, you know, right. ex ex that people can dissent, people can have differences of opinion. People, it's thrilling to be able to co-create something together where we're we're both imagining it together. Yeah. Not everybody has to completely believe in this image of unity. And if, if they don't, it's all in danger of deflating. Right. So as I say, one more thing about this is oh, that sure. that fear of it deflating is because everybody knows it's not real at yeah. a certain level. It's mm -hmm. because it's a defense that is protecting people against their real fear, which is that they will their longing, their vulnerability, their childlike longing that they were born with and that has never been validated enough, they're fearful that that they will be, everything will fall apart and that will become visible and they will not be loved, but rather mm. they'll be humiliated. Mm. So this elaborate effort is constantly going into recreating these false selves, the, the world of the false self, the world of the false imaginary. And so the last thing I'd say is, it doesn't have to be the last thing, but yeah. is that social movements, true social movements are the antidote to this are the way to overcome this because in the mo the word movement doesn't really describe physical movement sometimes there's marching in the streets sometimes there's dancing at night right. but it isn't physical movement it's a movement of being right in which people discover their collective being and rise up for a world where that would be realized a just world yeah and that dissolves this artificial world as it rises up into it. So tremendous struggles take place over this in which the people who want to keep the artificial world kill. For, you know, we'll really, we'll really struggle with you to, to prevent a movement from truly succeeding in, in bringing into being a world that would require everybody to abandon their illusions and just be here together which is what people are afraid of most of all. They're afraid of the person next to them. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. It's a sad thing that, that you know, just, just walk down the street. I mean, people are afraid to look at each other, afraid to be seen. Yeah. Uh, well, so like scuttling along like crabs on the ocean floor, as T.S. Eliot put it. Mm, it's like a lot of anger, too. Yeah. 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 Well, what like you how, say before? yeah, I wanted to say like how would the like you said this all sparked for you back in like you know the '60s when you're going through the whole mm -hmm. like college process and the academic process and going to law school and stuff. So like, how do you think movements back then that people so frequently quote today in today's movements? How do you think the processes back then has changed to what it is now from either the good or the better? Well, the, the the worse for worse or better, either way. Right. Well, so I'm very optimistic about the power of the human spirit. Right. The human spirit is always struggling to emerge in history, in real life, in real society, and it always 
we're always moving upward, as FDR said. Even though there's always reactions against us, we're always moving upward. So what actually happened in the case of the 60s is, first of all, our groups had too much conflict in them. They were very scary. We didn't know how to create a world that sustained that loving bond between us. And so we played a part in it. But then <laughs> Ronald Reagan came along, and the rise of the, new, the right wing came about mainly, mainly to defeat the movements of the 60s. Mm. That's always been their main project. That's still their project. Yeah. That's Donald Trump's project. Mm. It's the legacy of the 60s and the breakthrough of that era. Uh, by the way, with the labor movement in the 30s, which was also a very powerful movement that affected the whole society, there was a similar reaction. Backlash. Backlash against that by people who didn't want, were afraid of the possibility that a world based on equality might end up harming them because they'd have to be vulnerable to other people. That's how I would put it. So uh, they'd have to really enter into relations with others rather than just be president of Nike or something. Right, you know. right. And also, I, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on here. That's but good. I, it's all right. I mean, to do. You know, I have to say that I grew up with a lot of these wealthy people, ruling class people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, they, for the most part, of course, there, many of them were beautiful human beings in their own way, for the most part, they were alcoholics. You know, the, the classic thing they would do is they'd build a big house on a big piece, huge piece of property with fences around it, and they would find a room in that house and start drinking. I mean, yeah. they just looked at it like an alien coming down and seeing what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> because they're actually alone inside. Yeah. And they probably feel bad for all the stuff they did to get all that money. Yeah. They probably do. Yeah. They may feel bad about that because of what they did to others, but yeah. they also feel bad because they are still... They've done all this, and it doesn't amount to anything for their soul. Yeah. I mean, I knew so many people like that. Yeah. So that's not the way. No. No. <laughs> so what is a way... I know you just explained a bunch of ways, but, like, if someone's, like... I feel like there's, like... There, there's, like... Like, if like what should rich people do right now? What should rich people do? Like, that, like what do you think rich people... Like, someone... The like, same thing everybody else should do. May, namely, struggle for a just world, mm -hmm. but you know, to the extent that they can, use their resources to help others too. Yeah, to make that happen. Sure. Share their resources to the best of their ability. Do you think that like investing, like or like giving money to th like organizations, is good, or do you think that it's better for people to like start their own sort of thing with their money that uh, builds up? You know what I mean? They're both better than selfishness and misery, yeah. you know? But yeah, I mean, both of those things, they are somewhat at odds with each other. Definitely. But I mean, they're both, they're both, they're both of value. But, but I do think you have to be careful because some people who are very wealthy, who participate in so-called philanthropy or whatever, it creates power for them right. in places that right. doesn't address the inequality. Right. Uh, you know, so they end up being the one who gets to say what the nonprofit does. They didn't just right. give the money. Now they're the yeah. president of the non or whatever. You know, right. so 
It's a it's a good question. It's a good question. I mean, being a part of a social movement to me is is the way, no matter how much money you have. What? Um, so, if, Jai, did you, were you about to say something? Uh, I mean, I was gonna say, do you think people have a responsibility to like, what if, like, say there is somebody out there who feels like you know is content with where they are in relation to everybody else and they can survive off like of uh, you know one job or something do you think they still have a responsibility to because you know there's the argument that like you know the world is like this so if, if i can make my own path and like help the people around me you know to a certain proximity then it should be fine so like how far do you think people are responsible to go initially um I think we have a responsibility to treat each and every human being with whom we come in contact with dignity and respect mm. and know that they are as beautiful and equal as anyone else, mm -hmm. no matter who they are. Right. That's one thing, just in daily life. How do you relate, relate to each person? Right. Mm -hmm. But also, whenever you're faced with an inequality, how do you deal with it? Mm. Do you take that opportunity to address it? Do you take that opportunity to make it better, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, so not everybody has to be, you know, the leader of a social right. movement. Right. Uh, I suggest joining when one comes your way, right. but, um, but there are ways to make the world a better place mm -hmm. that are just going about just living life things. as a responsible citizen of the planet. Right. Just be nice to people. Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to keep it up uh, if yeah. you don't get involved in things larger than yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because your little private sphere isn't going to provide you ultimately with that uh, fullness of being inside mm -hmm. that comes from from activism of mm. some form from mm -hmm. doing something that takes you beyond the, the pleasant passive life into a life where you're engaged with the world you're, you're you feel like you're partly making the world mm -hmm. I agree with that yeah what's something specific that you would suggest, both of you should answer this, suggest some uh, people like me, Simone and Jai, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, of that age range, sort of artists or whatever, you know what I mean, people with sort of networks, like what, what should we do right now in this sort of time where we all really like, we don't know what's gonna happen, you know what I mean, like, like we, a lot of people like, you know, we have either sort of with the life with the world, extreme imaginations of both sides of the spectrum of what could possibly happen. So like thinking about that, like, what should we do? What do you guys think we should do? Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are facing amazing possibilities um, some of them very scary some of them very scary some of them very beautiful um, I think for sure you have to continue your art it's so beautiful mm -hmm. uh, 
I learn a lot from Sam. You know, I'm 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 more of the you know hip hop with blatant social justice mission issues. And Sam's like, Mom, hip hop is political in and of itself. You don't have to say something political in every song. Or That's pretty piece. smart, actually. <laughs> you agree with yourself, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> um, so that, I think, is incredible, incredibly important. Um, and, and the ways that you got you two. Uh, are engaged in hip hop and in terms of Simone, she's a beautiful artist in so many ways. Those are really important things to be doing to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. But I do think, first of all, you can't give up because people say how terrible things are going to be. Right. You cannot give up. Mm. You do have the power to change things. You can revo- reverse the course of things. Mm. But it does mean getting involved. Mm-hmm. It does make mean taking responsibility. And risk, right? Risk. And it's tempting to just go turn in and say, you know, oh, everything's going to fall apart anyway, so I'm just going to, you know, have a good time before the planet burns up. Right. Well, that's not that is not the case and right. you actually can change the course of things yeah and and i think you guys have to figure out what that is and if you're going to make it make it do it you know i mean there are i am very grateful for the work that i have found in my life but it wasn't like it was all peachy right you know i i don't get to see your father as much as i want to i didn't get to see you as much as i want to i did things that were hard yeah mm-hmm. but um but I decided I had to make sacrifices in order to do my part. Definitely. Dad? Um, I have always experienced the world as, uh, for me, it's always been an emergency mm-hmm. to do something. It's like, uh, not because I have a <clears throat> virtue in my head or something, you know, that I must do good. Right. It's because I felt in myself that I could not that I could not realize myself unless I was creating this world that ought to exist. And so to my mind when you when you do a hip hop concert and you move the crowd, you know, when people people are responding to the combination of lyrics and rhythm and they're getting outside themselves, and it's not just escapism, but it's meaningful. Right. That is important. Yeah. That is social change right there, yeah. because people people are having an experience that empowers them, that makes them feel real, that makes them feel, feel alive instead of dead, yeah. which a lot of the time in, in these routines in society where we're all playing roles in artificial slots, we feel dead. Yeah. And, you know... The, so, to me, it's it's not like um, you have to work for Greenpeace, Greenpeace, or or something. It's you, maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, after school, or maybe it's Presida Eyes, yeah, where you're like doing something in that space in Bernal Heights that's gonna uh, support other artists, empower a community, and and uh, bring life to that park, Presida Park there, yeah. And it's all that, to me, What the key is that everything, every action like that, that connects up with others to make something happen, actually creates a ripple. And the ripple 
begins to introduce reality of our mutual presence, our real selves, goes out into the world in a ripple and dissolves the deadening routines of separated life where yeah. people live in fear and become attached to unhealthy things like power, hierarchies, dominating others, the corporate structure, all that. It begins to dissolve that wherever you do it. That's why we're going to win eventually yeah. if, if we don't all kill each other or, or the world doesn't blow up because the because it's the only thing to do. Right. It's the longing in everyone that has to be realized in the world at some point. Mm. There isn't any other. Even when Trump's, you know, at, at his most, he wins the election and then he's he acts like he's running the entire world, like he's the emperor or something. And you see, you can feel, man, this is really fucked. You yeah. Know, we're in a really bad situation here. He isn't creating anything. Right. All he's doing is stopping us. Mmm. That was deep. I like that. Mm. And we don't have to let ourselves be stopped. Right. Because you can create Presida Eyes, or you can create this project over here, or you can create this arc, or you can, you can and inter- intersect with other people who are doing that, and up bubbles the movement, and up bubbles the, the true consciousness. And that begins to dissolve that that's space that's otherwise just empty, really. I mean, with everybody living at a distance from each other and fearful of each other. Right on. Okay. Thank so you. That's the story. Thank you. True. Thank you guys for yeah, coming. We're not we're, we're not quite done because we still have to ask you guys uh-huh. who is your top five <laughs> MCs. Dead or alive. All right. All right. Okay. Doesn't have to be you, MC. MC doesn't necessarily mean rapper either. You know. You could, oh really? Yeah, it could be you know an, a master of ceremonies, a commander of events. You know. Really? Okay. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, and then we gotta ask another question too. Yeah. That. Yeah. We're going. And stuff, so, but you know? one question from some fans is, Dad, how do you know Cornell West? <laughs> Uh, Cornell, I'm an editor of a magazine called Tikkun, which is a Jewish, a Hebrew word for to heal and repair the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a very progressive Jewish magazine. And uh, uh, my comrade, Rabbi Michael Lerner, and myself created a movement in the 80s called The Politics of Meaning, which was the same thing we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Create a meaningful world. That's what people need. They don't just want money, they want meaning. And Cornell was part of that effort. He was just uh, coming up then himself in his own way as a philosophy professor at, at Princeton then. Cool. And uh, so he joined forces with us and we... He's, he's, he's completely, I'd say, aligned with this conversation. Yeah, he's mm. he's a he's a spiritual militant progressive who believes in the connection between overcoming spiritual imprisonment and transforming the material world, the economy, the creating creating a socially just world. So he's so we met then during those years Very and gave cool. talks together. Sometimes the three of us would give talks. That's cool. So you guys, you guys, you like 
writers, spiritual activist guys are kind of like rappers. Like yeah, you guys give exactly. two shows together and travel and make articles. Hold down the stage for an audience. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know. You guys are MCs. Yeah, MCs. We're MCs. Yeah, exactly. yeah we sort of are MCs. I mean, you, know? you can't be boring up there, you know. Right. Well, I'm reading my paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you heard Cornell speak? Uh, on the video, on video, because he's very poetic. Yeah. Uh, you know, he speaks. Uh, it's almost like rap. Right. Uh, and Dad, I think, is very poetic the way he speaks. It completely different from Cornell. Yeah. But very, it sounds like another kind of poetry. And he moves around. He moves Dad around. moves yeah, around a lot exactly. and bends down at deep points and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, that's right. So that being said, <laughs> who are you guys' top five? Um, well, MCs. number one. MC. Oh, number one. I know who's coming. Uh, <laughs> that would be the professor. Yeah. Thank you. That's very nice. Um. <laughs> but you know, I mean, the MCs. Of we don't have to say rap MCs. We. Can you should. I kind of want you to tr- give it a try. Uh, all, right. all right. All right. All right. Well, there's E, of course. So Equipto. me first, then Equipto. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, and then pause. Pause. And um, Sife. Sife. All right, that's four. That's four. That's good. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, dang, we got another. Uh, Shelby. We, we like some Shelby. other. I like people Shelby. Too. Okay, so that's your top five. That's a good top five. Yeah. But okay, then other ones you don't know, maybe. You know. I know some. I know, but that you don't know personally. <laughs> no, I don't. There are some I don't know. It's true. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what I mean. Like you guys used to like KRS One, yeah, yeah, okay. I well, like KRS One. You saw you saw hip hop grow up from its birth. You know, we, they uh, weren't we paying attention. You were, but you were there. You were I there. there. You were, but you were I around. I was in the Motown. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. I was listening to the Beatles. You know? I was listening to Motown the whole time, and kept looking up, and people kept rapping and kept sagging and I'm like wow is this still happening yeah. and yeah, then boom happening. my child turned into a rapper yeah. boom. boom my face is up so you guys didn't really know that it was happening or you kind of saw it from afar but didn't quite understand what it was right mm-hmm. definitely that's exactly right not until we met you so since you met me though you know who some rappers are yeah Absolutely. Like, uh, I like Rock Marciano alright dad Perf- that's, exa- that's exactly the right I like, answer I like KRS-One okay KRS-1. he's an OG but I like he's an OG yeah. <laughs> well I, I mean like... what about Cool Herc Cool Herc yeah, yeah but he's a DJ he's a great DJ um, let's see uh I like I like Nas, mm-hmm. you know that. Uh, what's that first album called? Illmatic. Illmatic. That's yeah. it. And um, very good, Dad. Dad's doing well right now. Get <laughs> uh, some points. I like mainly. You know, I'm influenced by you because I like. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Rock, Rick, Ricky. R- R- Rock Marciano. No, no. He no. just said that. No, no, no. Uh, Ricky. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure Rick. if he's still with us or not. Not Slick Rick. Uh, no, what? no, no. This is somebody who you really like. Sean Price. Richard, somebody or. Uh, oh, you're talking about San, the San Francisco guy, who wrote Richie Cunning. Richie Cunning. Oh yeah, yeah. he's with us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, plus I, really I love him. the yeah, one about great. riding he's the bus excellent. through the city and going past all the Richie you know, Cunning, iconic yeah. places. 
places like right. Kaiser and everything. Right. Yeah, because he was yes. born at Kaiser, like so me and Mom. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Have I hit five yet? No, that was four. Well, um... <clears throat> So let me just say what Dad said so far: Rock Marciano, yeah. KRS One, yeah. uh, Richie Cunning, Richie Cunning, Nas, and Nas. What yeah. about some women? You guys don't know any women? Uh, Sorry, this is your list. Yeah, this is his <laughs> list. Um, and and uh, I guess I, I mean I'm hesitant to say it, but Kendrick Lamar, you know. Why are you hesitant to say it? Well, because he's so new and stuff. He's so well known or something. But I right. I, so I mainstream. Like he's great. <laughs> is he mainstream? I can't. Uh, no, he's great. No, he's, I mean, he's, he's a great definitely artist, mainstream. But he is mainstream. He's, you know, you could. Yeah. Well, he's ma- he's mainstream success. He's mainstream success, but, but he is respect. Against, you know, <laughs> he's against the grain up there. You know what I mean? He definitely mainstream, speaks out on everything and puts yeah. himself out there and mainstream for a reason I like Kendrick mm-hmm. a lot yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah Kendrick alright those were good five, yeah. I got to I've gotten to like hip hop I yeah, have really too. gotten to like it because the, there's a lot in that in hip hop a lot of ex, of meaningful expression that pushes itself out mm. so it's not it's not painted on the outside. It's, right. It pushes There's layers. Out. Yeah, I mean, from yeah. from the general practice of freestyling, which is all about that. Right. It's all know, about in the moment. In the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. And so that's the thing. It is what it does. I think is that it it makes you in the moment, and it makes everybody everybody's taking a risk together. Yeah. As they as you pump it out, yeah. the words and the sound. Mm-hmm. And you know that's that's really great. And I like that it doesn't require any formal training, and that people are doing it all over the world spontaneously. Yeah, yeah but you got to be good, though. You right? do have to be good, and yeah. it does take training in that sense. That you've got to, you've got to. I mean, you know, you no, got to study mean, it. You don't you have learn to go it. to violin but, class, right? You don't need like a certificate yeah. from Harvard to rap, <laughs> right? Like, Right. They might you can, try you to make one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can teach courses in that now. Exactly. <laughs> Hip hop class. Right. I heard an interview on on uh, NPR, the National Public Radio, and there was like this really tragic interview about a refugee camp. And in the background, while the, whoever was talking was talking, hip hop. What was it? You don't know what's on. No, they were just somebody they, was some was doing it. somebody were rapping. A refugee, oh, John on top of a garbage can, oh, wow. right there in the camp. Started yeah. rapping. Uh, yeah, this that's I love that. Yeah, because that's where hip hop comes from. Yeah, it's the deepest struggles. You know. Yeah, for real. Well, anyways, thank Thanks you all. Thank right. you, mom and dad, for coming. Uh, You're welcome back anytime. Okay. Well, we'll Hope you back. felt like you were we'll in the moment here. What a. <laughs> I felt like we were mutually <laughs> ready. Yeah, man. Yeah. Mutually yeah. <laughs> in this <laughs> setting. Hell yeah. All right. We could we could we could bust one. Of, we could bust one of those favorite fives. All right. I was gonna play this other stuff. No, you could do that too. You know, don't let me stop you from being you. Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't dissolve my. The, yeah, I'll, I'll keep, accept your inner being. Thank you, mom and dad. Okay, yes. thank, thank you, you very guys. much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing what you Sam. Did. Mm-hmm.
like this river I've been running ever since It's been a Coming, but I know, I know, change has got to come now. Ooh, yes, it is.
nigga shit, not that weirdo shit, you know what I'm saying? Playing by the book here, you know? Not that weirdo shit, niggas think they come in the game, change the rules, you know what I'm saying? It's always little, little corny niggas with no rules, no balls and ethics. We're gonna set the record straight, man, these little suckers, man. Smart shit out of one, you little niggas, man. Cash niggas gotta get checked and bagged, that shit kinda big. Bitches out here trying to sabotage a pimp. I spit from the passenger side of the whip. Splash shit, that's a big reminder, daddy, that I'm not your friend. Not friends. Maserati drop tie, not bad for some project kids. Got a stash spot to keep the product in. Uh, rock designer, I'm the product king. Uh, it's all simple math, mommy, this is not geometry. No. I'm the Dollar Tree. They praise the God, it's like idolatry. When the waters got choppy, I was in the driver's seat. Uh, Steer my family out of poverty. Common yeah. links twined within my taco meat. Woo. Niggas beats and round flows cheap like some Paco jeans. Uh. <laughs> Catch me standing over pots, whipping these not collard greens. Chopping game with no karate gi. Beat the pussy up like Rodney King. Chopper hiding in the closet like some kind of freak. Ma, I call it Bobby V. If you love me, then buy me a V. Who's never blood, why would I be naive? My team, we got it out the mud. Y'all niggas got your money clean. Suck behind the scenes, niggas funny, son. Shoes never chummy, chummy like a scene. Fake shit. Little monkeys trying to front, I thought I told you not to speak. Fuck up.
Cause you're all alone And nobody Calls you on the phone Don't you feel like a crime Don't you feel like a crime For here I am, honey Come on The smell of her perfume Don't you feel like a crime? Don't you feel like a crime? Don't you feel like a crime? Come on, come on, cry to me Nothing can be said to come in the night but there's no one don't you feel like I'm crying
Tropic by the cool sand. This my shaking down you niggas' pockets. I don't do friends. And I don't do trends. Fuck it though, I ride with you then. Bring the troops in. I fuck around and let them loose then. We'll give them blues then. Oh, fuck it, call me Bobby Blue Blaze. Hey, you a fool, Bob man. Body swerving out the intersection, baby. Come and get your blessing. Hey, she gon' fuck with this erection. I got something good for all these hoes. She gotta walk the blade for I call these hoes. Now, if I pay for your dress in the pearl, that means you an investment, bitch. I'ma need my door in return. We reporting live from the 90059 with my nigga J-Rock, and this is WTOP Radio, and I'm your host, DJ Turnup. I don't turn down nothing but my collar. I ain't turning down no money, and I ain't turning down no motherfucking face. Now, bitch, if you're pushing up the street with your orangutan looking ass, take some advice and bang scissor, you flat foot bitch. Itching for a climax, last in past 1130, do you got it like that? Do you really got it like that? Itching for a purpose, I can't seem to scratch the surface. I ain't got it like that. Do I really got it like that? You keep 
dream And you got quick scheme to get rich quickly And I don't wanna waste another hour Really need to take another shower Daddy for you Now this that big shell, fish scale BMX on the ramp with the fish tail Pegs on the front, we gon' get there We fold deep, better swap me Don't need a fifth wheel, this big steel Whoever if situations get real This that, fresh out the bounty Busting knuckles, get buckled If you ever try to knock the hustle Show your hands, watch how I shuffle And show you why they hate more niggas than Uncle Ruckus Rolling up that boondock, some call it moonbot Gotta keep that bass in my step, dope in the tube sock Gotta do what I do to remain on So all a nigga need is good love when I come home Cause the baby's gotta eat, baby The rent's been due lately And I just caught a hot one I ain't tryna go too crazy Food gazy, not me Me and my niggas not sweet Give you thug passion How you walk around, not me I'm the silver bullet Moving at top speed Show you how to get it And get away with it, Scott Free Something sinister to it Pendulum swinging slower, degenerate moving through the city with criminal stealth. Welcome to enemy turf, harder than immigrants work. Golf is just in my shirt. Get up off the pavement, brush the dirt up off my psyche. Psyche, psyche. It's probably been 12 years since my father left. Left me fatherless. And I just used to say I hate him in dishonest chest. When honestly, I miss this nigga like when I was six. And every time I got the chance to say it, I would swallow it. 16, I'm hollow intolerant. Skip shots of storm. That whole bottle, I show you a role model. Drunk pissy pissing on somebody front lawn. Trying to figure out how and when the fuck I miss moderate. Mama often was offering peace, offering stink. Weeds cough, scoffing, and he's off again. Searching for a big brother, Tyler was that. Plus, he like how I rap. The blunt and mice the trap. Too black for the white kids and too white for the blacks. From honor roll to cracking locks up off them bicycle racks. I'm indecisive, I'm scatterbrained, and I'm frightened. It's seven and then them eyes where he hiding all the bicycles at. Something sinister to it. The pendulum swinging slower, degenerate moving. Through the city with criminal stealth, welcome to enemy turf. Harder than immigrants work, golf is just in my shirt. Get up off the pavement, brush the dirt up off my psyche. Psyche, psyche. Bars riding hearts, bottomless pit Was mobbing deep as 96 Havoc and Prodigy did We were the potty mouth posse Crashed the party and dipped with all belongings To toss them out to the Yo, thank you for tuning in For another golden episode of Old Soul Radio This Sunday night Yes, thank you for always being here Because we're always here Yeah, everybody's always here We all feel each other And it's all one love, you know and, Yes um, We're grateful for everything Be sure to um, support the strike on the Marriott And go check out the desire for mutual recognition Yep, and keep tuning in on us Every Sunday, 8 to 10 p.m. You know, also radio, also co, IG, all that. I'm DJ Jima. I'm Professor Gable. And uh, this is also radio. Thank you for listening. And Simone and Gabby are here, too. Yes, they're both here. And thank you for coming, both of you. Yes.
so I missed half the show and I lost the judge seat. She sent somebody else up. Luckily, though, I did get called into the open mic. So she drew my name from the hat. I was like the fourth open micer. And I went up to do a five-minute set. And, uh, you know, the theme was Love Bites. So I had plenty of material. But during my set, I got into really dark places just getting things off my chest, which felt good. It's different. Like, at the end of a story set... You don't necessarily feel the elated high of comedy, but it's more just like a quiet relief. Like, I've been heard. Thank God. And you, you do feel better, though. It calms your, your nerves.